0: This is Define the Narrative Podcast with your host, Anne Argo.
1: Welcome to Episode 5. Thank you for joining us. My guest today is Paul Ramey. He's the director of Adventist Health Glendale's Child Care Center. Paul has an entire career of experience and knowledge in the child care industry, from infant to toddler to early preschool and even preschoolers. His wisdom is just so soothing that I wish I had only been able to glean some of it from him before I had had my son my intention for you today is that you get some great ideas and some answers to some questions you might have please enjoy
0: thank you paul for joining us today we really appreciate it
1: thanks for having me
0: absolutely so i'm gonna get straight to it a mom she is the only parent when does she start looking for child care?
2: Well, I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, but it depends on what kind of care she needs. If she's looking for infant care to return to work right after maternity leave, then basically the moment she gets her positive test is probably the right answer. If you call, uh, most centers will just give you a blatant answer. The waiting list is 12 to 15 months, 18 months, if you do the math, there's probably not going to be a spot where you need to go back to work, even if you call right away. What I like to tell parents is that waiting lists are 1st come first-served based on the age of the child and the slot that's being filled. That's what a lot of places don't tell you. A lot of child care centers don't mention that, and that can mean one of two things. It may mean that you don't have a problem getting in, but it may mean that you don't ever get in, and that's because we don't want to put a nine month or 10-month-old infant into an infant room when we don't have a spot in the toddler room to move them when they need that developmental stimulation. So we don't want running toddlers in the room with babies doing time and time. It's really important, you're gonna be definitely in the best position if you start touring and calling facilities as soon as you know that you're pregnant
0: and some facilities will even just to get on their waiting list will ask kind of like for a little bit of a fee it's almost like applying to college yes is it it similar like would you suggest five or as many as you can up to a certain amount or it, does it just vary depending on where?
2: We're a non-for-profit, so we don't actually charge to get on our waiting list. I know we're an anomaly. Most places do charge 100 to 150 maybe even $300, but you don't have to make that decision until after you tour, usually. So what I would say is you should tour everything that you can get into tour, and you should really get a sense of what you're looking at, if it's a good fit for you and your family, if you would be comfortable and excited to have your child at that facility. And then at that point, determine if it's worth it to you to pay the application fee to get on the waiting list. We don't charge to get on our waiting list because we're predominantly an employer-based child care center. So we can't really, with any certainty, guarantee that community families can get in and we're not-for-profit. So we're not just driving up money we're not just collecting fees if we can't deliver the service
0: so there's a lot of things you said in that number one in terms of centers letting infants in they're they're having to look at the long term looking ahead at the subsequent years and where they might fit Um, you also mentioned go ahead and tour everything that might i add if it is a facility that should you get in even if it's not your first choice if it is a feasible option pursue get on the list to the extent that you can afford it. And you brought up another really good point, the difference between for-profit and non-profit. Right. And that might be a place that people look because I know, I know there's so many things I didn't know. In fact, you actually are where my son started when he was two and it was a fluke. Someone who knew someone who was an established family knew that someone was leaving and a friend of mine was considering it and they decided it was too far for them and and they told me about it and it just so happened that he got in you are affiliated with a medical center so right. the idea of looking at not-for-profit and in that normally because I also know like community colleges will have centers right. so my follow-up question is twofold number one Medical centers, community colleges, where else might people find these non-for-profits as community members? And then could you explain the hierarchy of preference, siblings, employees,
2: community? So there's a lot to unpack there too. I don't know per se that there's like a reference place to find non-for-profit centers. I usually recommend that people check out the National Association for the Education of Young Children's website because they have a program search of accredited programs within a certain mile radius of where it is either convenient for them, whether that's more convenient for their work zip code or whether it's more convenient for their home zip code, depending on if they have extended family to support or something along that line. But that's a really good resource for families. Now, whether that's for-profit or non-for-profit, I can't really say. There aren't that many centers like ours, which is completely nonprofit-based. Because we are a Christian organization, the, the hospital does feel like it's a community outreach for us to provide communities services of childcare at a, re- a reduced rate without incurring higher revenue for profit. I'm a little bit of an anomaly, even like the community colleges and things like that. They may not be for profit, but they may not be as lenient in terms of application fees and things like that. What I would say is if you're looking for infant care, you probably are going to want to tour at least five facilities that would be convenient for you. They're not easy to find. It is definitely much more challenging to provide infant toddler care in preschool so most places choose to opt out of infant toddler care which makes the demand much higher for everybody who's looking for it which makes the waiting list longer so i usually say tour at least five facilities and you hit the nail on the head what i always say is you may not get into your top pick it's almost like college in that way. I hate to even make the connection there or, uh, you know, it is sort of like that. We tell people when they tour us, even our employees who have priority waiting list options, we still tell our hospital employees, go look at other facilities because we're a small intimate program. We're licensed for 56 children and we have over 1800 employees at our hospital. So the likelihood that we are turning even our hospital employees away is very high. So it's really important. And especially timing with infant care, I think if you could get your child into a center that you got a very good feeling about, whether it's your first choice or your second choice or your third choice, if you got a sense that you could build a team environment between family and center staff, that's the key. And so I would say anything that becomes available to you, you should take. It's not all that unusual for us to call and offer slots to families who have enrolled elsewhere and give notice at that place to come and take a slot at our center. So it's not unusual to have that happen because you're going to need care when you have to go back to work. You may still get that call. It just may be
0: a little bit later than you were hoping for. So knowing that you might get into your first or second choice, but it may not be immediately. So you might bridge it either with another facility or even with private care exactly that's really great tip so when they're looking besides that feel right of oh right. i like the way this feels and looks and everybody looks happy what are the questions whether internally or externally that a mother should be asking when they tour a facility what should they be looking for
2: well that's a really great question one of the things that i think is probably really important and i think it's more important when you're talking about infant care than any other age group we personally serve is about staff turnover the thing about infant Care more than any other age group that I hire for or um, supervise. Infant care takes a certain kind of heart and soul in the caregiver. It's certainly not for everybody. I think that having retention in your infant care program is really a good indicator that the staffing in that room has the heart and soul for infant care has the experience of dealing with parents as they say goodbye to their child for the first time with other strangers in effect, and can be responsive and caring and compassionate through that that separation period. We've been doing infant care for a really long time, and it's always harder on the parent than it is on the infant. And we always tell our parents, you know, we're going to be in immediate contact with you throughout the day. You're going to be able to see what's happening with your baby throughout the day, especially because we're an employer-based child care that works for the hospital. It's even more important in our environment than probably any other that clinical employees, doctors are able to leave their child and feel at peace so that they're not worried about their child as they're providing clinical services to patients. I can't really think of any kind of situation that would be more important than that. And so we're very geared towards building that relationship. Asking questions about honoring family diversity is super important. Asking questions about how do you see your role as a team? member in my family evolving is a really important question. How do you bridge the school life to the home life? How do you inform parents of what's happening throughout my child's day? Those are really critical conversations to have because you want to get a sense not of just the environment because the environment may speak volumes to you. You may see happy children and happy teachers and you may see an environment that's inviting and lovely and warm and hopefully you would see that anywhere that's providing infant care. Knowing how the administration is supporting their team to communicate and support families as a team, independent of just the entire class, right? You want every family has their own feelings of importance about certain caregiving tasks, how they want their child to be on a schedule or not on a schedule, how they want them to be put down to nap, how they want them to be bottle fed, how they want them to be transitioned to table food. All of those things are unique. We consider our parents as the expert even though our teachers have 30 plus years of infant caregiving and have cared for hundreds and hundreds of infants you're the person that's been with your baby since the very beginning you know what they what consoles them you know what soothes them you know what works best for them and if we can meet that here then that would be our ultimate desire sometimes we can't because doing what you do one-on-one with the baby is not what you can do you know one-on-three with the baby or one-on-four with the baby we're gonna try because that's what's best for the baby if we can't we're gonna have that conversation conversation with you about why we can't and how can you as a parent model maybe what we're doing in the center so that care is consistent because that leads to secure attachments and that makes children much happier in the long run and parents much happier in the long run as well.
0: You said something I wanted to follow up on ratio adult yeah. to student whether it's what you offer or in your professional opinion what do you think is the absolute it can't be bigger than this you don't see how a class to adult ratio would work. Right and and for the health of everybody
2: licensing really does do a great job of dictating what is safe right and they are gearing basically every program out there everything should be licensed if not accredited that is right now for infants and toddlers that's one to four one teacher to every four infants or toddler that is safe we've had great success running at one to four we're going to a one to three model and we're excited about that but what i would say is where i think some programs offset Low ratio is they have eight teachers with 32 kids in their infant program. That I would say, in my opinion, is not safe or good environment for an infant. It's way too stressful. Even though the ratio is the same, you could have 16 or 17 kids crying at the same time, and you can imagine how disconcerting that can be to even a happy baby who's content. I think it's really important that you look at the size of the group as well as the ratio. So the licensing ratio should keep things safe. The teacher's in a position to provide a really loving, wonderful environment. I think the administrative end is where you have to look out how that center is applying that one to four ratio, whether they're having multiple rooms that are still small, I would say nothing more than 12 maximum. Our maximum is nine. That's what I would say as a as a parent, that might be a telltale sign. Even though the ratio is the same, it's not, it doesn't just uh, live and die by ratio alone.
0: Would you also say another good question would be to ask about the, the relief staff and the substitute staff, if there's a consistent oh, yeah. relief and substitute staff filling in? That's a
2: great question. Yes, basically we have here floating teachers that are here all the time that are not in ratio, that are providing lunch breaks and breaks throughout the day. And then we also have substitute staff on call that I actually have infant-toddler substitute staff and I have center substitute staff. Generally, my first line of defense against a day off or ill day or vacation is to always schedule the floating teachers in there and cover their ship with a uh, a substitute from outside because those those are the teachers that the infants are most familiar with and have the most experience taking a bottle from, for example, or having their diaper changed, for example. They feel very comfortable with those teachers because they see them every day, even though they're not their primary caregiver. That's the route we take. I would go in there myself before I would put a substitute from outside the center into an input a toddler classroom just because when babies are faced with people they don't know they don't take their bottle they don't take their naps they just don't settle they don't feel secure and so I think that's a great question to ask Um, and I certainly do share that with touring families that we serve yes
0: and I know for a fact that you actually do go in
2: yeah (laughs) (laughs) well I love
0: it actually I I know you I was going to say and I know that you love it I think that there's people who either don't know or they have not really the right idea To expect that there's not going to be bumps with your child is not accurate. Every child in development, if they weren't having bumps, would be a concern. What would you say about trying to navigate or understand how A child care center works with a parent as the child moves from class to class and year to year with those bumps in the road, whether it's in the two-year-old class where you have a parent conference and the teacher asks the parent, so how do you think your child's speech is developing which is a gentle message to some parents of you might want to go get your child checked out or your child has uh, stripped down naked running through the center for three days. There's, there are things that we could not fathom.
2: Right, um, so I've seen it
0: all. You've seen it all. So, it so all. what do you say about that? What, what should they prepare even if they can't fathom that it would ever happen?
2: This is the thing. I mean, I think that it, we all hear the buzzword communication, right? We hear it about every relationship we ever have. But it's no different in terms of the communication that you have with administrators and teachers are caring for your child. And the hard thing is that sometimes those communications are multitasking situations. A parent's on their way to work and they're running late. Child in the classroom needs the teacher's attention. It's really mindful mindfulness on our part as the caregivers that we are managing the communications on our end as effectively as possible. Parents often don't know the questions to ask, especially parents who are first-time parents. I like to tell all parents Every child is unique and different and beautiful and wonderful. And that doesn't mean that your second child is gonna develop and transgress along these same exact bumps in the road that your first child did. We have uh, opportunities to teach parents and children and we have opportunities to learn from parents and children as caregivers. What I think the most important thing is that You begin, you know, we try really hard. Most of our families actually start in our infant room and they spend five years with us. So we get to know these families exceedingly well. It's why infant care teachers are really important because they have to build that relationship and they have to build it very quickly we have to build what we call the emotional bank account so we have to be friendly and open and honest and transparent with our families from the get-go so that when we do hit a bump in the road they trust us and they trust our opinion and they trust that we're looking out for their child's best interests you know it's interesting that you brought up you know the conference with the two-year-old where the teacher may say how do you see your child's speech and language developing we actually don't usually get to that point here we're usually having the conversation outside. Of a conference. We're usually having that conversation in real time as we're seeing things develop. We will always say developmental milestones are a guideline. They are not set in stone. And we've seen enough children to know. And we've also seen there are a lot of contributing factors into specifically speech and language delays. There's a lot of reasons why a behavior can be happening. It's our job to strategize behind the scenes to help children. We're looking at our learning observations as we're going and we're developing plans. We're sharing those with families. There shouldn't be a a lot of surprises on the road if you're here it doesn't mean that a parent doesn't walk into my office and say uh-huh. <laughs> this happened and I'm gonna have that conversation be transparent about it that's another reason why turnover is really important if you have a long-standing staff ours I'm lucky to say my newest hire is 10 years seniority here that's crazy in our field but I have very tenured staff so I don't get those crazy in the doorway conversations that I know a lot of directors, face. But I start that with my tours. I am very transparent in my tours. I tell parents exactly what to expect. I tell them exactly what the waiting list looks like. I do tell them that it isn't just because their name is the next one on the waiting list. They're going to get the call. If this class is not right for their child, I'm not going to offer it to them. I want them to know that there is no hidden agenda for me, that, we're, that our relationship is going to be transparent all the way through their time with me and with our staff, that that's the way we roll. They feel very comfortable coming in and having conversations with us and that they don't feel defensive when we bring up something about a concern we may have with their child because they have this experience that they know that we see their child for their unique abilities that we see their family as a unique diverse family that we honor that we just want to make sure that if there's an opportunity for early intervention that will be the, to the great benefit of the child. Who doesn't want that? What parent doesn't want that? That's really where we're coming from at all times.
0: And and also for the over-anxious parent, I, I know <laughs> many times you were the one telling me, and just just calm down. It'll be okay. <laughs> so it's, it's on both sides of the fence. Paul, I, I cannot... Tell you how grateful I am for joining because what I know more than anything is our audience just seeing the demeanor of the standard of a center leader will help give them a sense of what they need to look for. I have a feeling we'll be trying to invite you back down the road as we get feedback. But I really appreciate you taking time out of your super busy schedule to share this information. Super important for women navigating this on their own. And and I really appreciate it.
2: It's been entirely my pleasure. You know, you can call me anytime. I really appreciate being able to provide any kind of resource to just not my own personal center community, but... The community at large. It's really an important thing that we're doing with young children, so I appreciate
1: it. Are you Googling right now so that you can find a tour to get into? Perfect. You can research child care centers at the National Association of Education of Young Children or NAEYC.org. And let us know if you have other questions that you'd like us to ask Paul. He's more than happy to come back and answer them even if it's the same question asked in a different way. Next week, we're going to shift gears a little bit and get in touch with our inner feminine. We have the first of a two episode interview with Australia's dating and relationship breakthrough coach for women, Mark Rosenfeld. He's also the author of the book, make him yours beating the odds of modern dating. He is going to answer questions about men, modern dating and how we're supposed to make it all happen as only parents that have children 100% of the time. And he's going to give quite the affirmation to the journey that we all share. Until then, follow us on Instagram, hashtag Define the Narrative.